0: Today we continue our journey through the Apocalypse of John, the Book of Revelation, which calls us, inspires us into the now, which reminds us who you are and of your great love for us, that displays to us your glory and your love in the power of Jesus Christ who died and who rose from the dead and who reveals this grace to us, even in times of tribulation, to declare to us that you are our God and that nothing stands in the way of your love. And we hear more of that love this morning as we read from Revelation chapter 2 to the church in Ephesus. And so as we prepare to read your word, We pray for your blessing. Lord, be with us this morning as we open your word. And as we hear the words of your Son, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to examine ourselves and our lives and our love, and in doing so to find yours, to be inspired towards life, towards love, towards grace. Be with us, O Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen, repent, and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, a few months ago, Natalie and I went to a concert at the Grand. Crash Test Dummies, one of my favorites. Brad Roberts, the lead singer of the band with that quirky, scoopy bass. That voice playing with word and sound and poetry in this unique and odd way. Sometimes deep thoughts, sometimes meaningless thoughts, but always interesting, captivating. And I was excited because I used to sing along with all of their songs. I have my very first chord book, where I was playing guitar, and when I was first learning, I'd listen to songs on cassette, and I'd try to figure out how to play them. And in that book, half the songs I have are songs by the crash test dummy. Uh, The Superman song, Afternoons and Coffee Spoons, and one of the greatest titles in the history of songs, Mmm, mmm, mm, mmm, Once there was this boy who... I was excited. But having been to the concert, now I'm divided. On the one hand, I loved it. Sixteen-year-old me was excited. Sixteen-year-old me with long hair, sitting by a radio, playing tape over tape over and over again, watching the concerts on much music, trying to watch their hands to figure out what the strange chords were. That part of me was loving the concert, the nostalgia and remembering when. But there was also a part of me that didn't love it. The part of me that was watching Brad Roberts sing, even though it seemed like he didn't really want to be there. Sometimes that happens at a concert. He was good. He hit the notes. He sang the words. He entertained. These were songs he's sang for 30 years. And he's gotten really good at singing them. Part of me was entertained. But part of me was sad. Because even though the singing was really good. There was no joy in it. There was no passion behind the lyrics. There was no love in the music. It was just nostalgia, it was routine. Ephesus. Somewhere between 20 and 40 years before John was experiencing this vision, Paul had left Corinth during one of his missionary journeys, and he established this church in Asia Minor. John himself moved there and lived there with Mary, mother of Jesus. And it's likely that he was responsible for all of these seven churches that that were being written to. Ephesus... The first of these messages and the first of these churches was the first church. The major city of the region. The church that was likely the oldest. And what we're told here in the book of Revelation is that they're really good at being church. Beginning in verse 2, Jesus says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have lived under tribulation for my name and have not grown weary. The encouragement that's being offered here is genuine, and from it we see the Ephesian church is doing so many things well. They're doing their theology well. The doctrine has stood the test of time. And of note, we find here that a number of people have come to this Ephesian church through the years. And they've come claiming that they were apostles, that they were disciples that were sent by Jesus into the world to bring his good news, his message. And they brought with them teachings And the church tested those teachings. They listened to the message and they brought the word of God to bear on it. They examined the teachings in the light of their faith in the resurrected Christ. And they found those teachings to be false. They rejected them and they endured. For the church in Ephesus, their theology was good. As was their practice, Their deeds, their hard work. Ephesus was a church that labored for the kingdom. No doubt they were helping the poor, that they were welcoming the stranger, that they were gathering together for worship regularly, that they were studying the Word of God, that they were taking care of widows, that they were reaching out to share the good news with their neighbors. They are an active church and they've been active consistently. They have good theology, and they have good practice. And more than that, we're told they have good morals, too. They hate what the Nicolaitans do, the thing that God also hates. Now, who the Nicolaitans are and what they did that God hates, we don't know. There are a lot of theories out there, but very little evidence for them. But it doesn't really matter who the Nicolaitans were or what they did. We work with what we're given, and what we're told is that the Nicolaitans did things that weren't right, the things that God hates, and the Ephesians didn't do those things. They hated those things too. The church in Ephesus lived lives that were righteous and holy. So we hear these things, this church that has good theology, good practice, good morals— And over the course of decades, they have endured in these things. Even when times were hard, they lived under them. They're orthodox, they're active, they're good people. Just the kind of church that you strive to be. But what we hear in this message for the church is that while they are all of these good things, there's one thing that is missing. And we're told that while their heads are good, their hands are good, their feet are good, their hearts aren't into it. verse 4, we're told that they have forsaken the love that they had at first the word that is being translated as forsaken, we also translate it as abandoned or forgotten or left behind. It's also the word that we use when we talk about forgiveness and reminding ourselves of God's love that gives to us his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe shall not perish but have eternal life. Love. In their hearts, They've left that behind. They've forgotten their first love. They've forgotten, they've left behind, they've abandoned the very reason that they are church in the first place. Why they think the things they do and do the things they do and behave in the ways that they behave. They forget the reason, the passion, the mission, the importance, the the first thing that makes them church. They forget that it's not about theology, preserving a philosophy, just about doctrine. The church's identity isn't rooted in winning arguments or exposing false prophets and apostles. Now, that doesn't mean theology isn't important, it is important. But what we notice here is that it's not first on the list. Similarly, similarly, the church's identity isn't rooted in good works, in feeding the hungry, singing with adulation and reverence, going to places in this world that nobody else will go in order to, to heal and to bless. That doesn't mean those things aren't important. They're very important. But again, not number one on the list. The church's identity is also not rooted in its morality. And for most of us hearing that, that's a tremendously good thing. If God kept the record of sins, who among us could stand? And instead, the story of grace is this, that he abandons those sins as far as the east is from the west from us. Now, that doesn't mean that the law isn't important that holiness isn't important, that justice isn't important. They are. They are the gifts that contribute to the flourishing of creation. Our ethical existence is important. But even that's not number one on the list. If you have all of these things, good theology, good practice, good morals, but you don't have that first love, Paul tells us none of those other things matter, and and so does John. So does Jesus. It's just nostalgia and routine. And Jesus says, I will take that lampstand away because you don't need it. If you don't have that first love, you're not the church. First love. What is that? It's being rooted in God's love. It's about experiencing the grace of dying and the power of rising that tells us who God is and inspires us into life. The Holy Spirit that is within us and ignites us the passion to serve and to heal and to bless. The word of God that transforms us and blesses us with holiness and justice. All of these other things flow from our experience of that first love. The very thing that should be at the core of our being. Our first love for the triune God who loved us first. The gospel of grace. The triumph of resurrection. That's what the church in Ephesus has forgotten Not the doctrine behind it, but the love that is connected to it. They've left that behind. Now in hearing that, there's something very, very important for us to pay attention to before we go further. Especially as we are reading all of these seven messages to the angels of these seven churches and that's this and we need to listen very very closely as we hear about the church of ephesus and what they've left behind what they've abandoned how they've forgotten their first love we need to know this truth you are not the church in ephesus You are also not the church in Pergamum or Philadelphia or Laodicea. It's a very easy trap for us to fall into where we draw lines between these places of reading about a church that has lost its passion for God and its relationship for God, its very first love and saying, I see that here. There are a lot of sermons that do that and a lot of people who want to read that into the text. But that's not here and I certainly don't see that here for those of you who are watching and who don't know this church that I serve and that I am blessed by and that in these days of isolation I am missing so much it's this you need to know this that these are people who love the word and the theology that it inspires these are people who love their neighbors and can't wait for that moment when we are released from isolation and we can go out and we can serve and love and bless these friends of mine who don't think that they're perfect or that they're morally superior or that they're better than anyone else but who have experienced the loving forgiveness of god And live lives of thankfulness in response to it. And that they do all of these things because God is their first love. Jesus is their reason for being. The Holy Spirit is within them. This church. It isn't the church in Ephesus. It's not even close. We need to hear that. And we need to hear that to understand that we don't draw a straight line to say we are them, and this message is a message of condemnation for us. Instead, it's a message of encouragement that is so important for us to hear today. And it's important for us to hear it today because we may be tempted to forget. And sometimes, in times like this, big things get in the way, and we might focus on them and lose sight. And sometimes the tribulations of this world harden our hearts and it's harder to love. And sometimes the embers cool and we fall into routine. And for each of us at different times in our lives, myself included, there are times when we find ourselves taking a few steps from our first love and struggling. And we come back to this text to hear about that struggle but also to hear gracious hope within it and when we read these words and we notice these times where we've taken a few steps without our first love what we find here is encouragement in what we ought to do next what should happen in response and what that is is amazingly good because what we find is that what we need to do when we find ourselves forgetting our first love, forgetting our passion, forgetting our relationship with God, even for, for just a time, is that we can do the same thing that Ephesus is called to do. Ephesus, who is decades down the road, who hasn't just wandered a bit or taken a few steps or forgotten just a bit of their passion, but abandoned their first love years ago. And here we find Jesus still calling their name. Calling them to remember how far they've fallen. And to simply repent. That's a a word that simply means turn around. Turn around and remember your first love. turn around and notice who it is behind you, bringing us back to the image of chapter 1, turning around and finding our Savior, Jesus, who is there, calling us to hear and to remember our first love, and in doing so, to come and to eat from the tree of life. If Ephesus, who has abandoned their first love and has done so for many years, is called so quickly by their Savior, how much more for we, who have love for Jesus in our hearts? The first star on the right hand of Jesus. Is the hand upon the shoulder of the one who has forgotten. It doesn't matter for how long. Maybe you've forgotten just for a few steps and maybe, maybe you're experiencing decades of having walked and forgotten. It doesn't matter. Because the hand of Jesus is still the same hand. And when you find it on your shoulder and you hear him calling your name and you turn around, what you realize is that even though you may have forgotten, he has not. And that's the first love. The reason for the church. The reason that we are a lampstand for this world because we have experienced this And we experience it again and again, turning around and finding Jesus who never leaves us. That's the relationship that we have in grace. That's why we live and breathe and move and have our being. That's why he died for us and rose for us, so that we would know in all things he is there. And that even when we stray, he is there. And even when we wander, he is there. And even when we abandon him... His love is so much that he is there. He is the reason that we believe. He is the reason that we serve. He is the reason that we give thanks. It's because he is our first love. And we are his. You are his. And when we turn around and we remember our first love, when we find Jesus again in our lives, when we connect to that first love, that's when we find the love that inspires everything else, our theology, our service, our morals, our ethics. Because he is our passion. He is our life. And all anyone ever needs to do is to listen for his voice. Remember his grace and turn around to find his life eternal. And so in these times, these times when all our routines are disrupted, may you be listening more, more closely. If you have ears, may you hear his voice. May you remember his grace and may you turn to find him. His hand upon your shoulder reminding you that he is with you and that you are never alone. May the grace of Jesus Christ be with you. May the love of God inspire you. And may the power of the Holy Spirit guide your passion to serve, to believe, and to give thanks in this world. And as we experience these things, may the world see us, the church, the lampstand from which God's light shines. Shall we pray? Gracious and loving Savior, Jesus, we turn to you, and we give you thanks that every time we might take steps that wander away, when we turn around, there you are, Because you have promised never to leave us or forsake us, even though there are times when we may do just that. And we see, even in the case of Ephesus, who abandoned you for a long time. Your grace is such that that doesn't matter. You still call to them. You're still there for them. You still love them. And that's what grace is. And it's there for us, we who love you. Because in these times, it's, it's possible to get distracted. And in our lives, it's possible to stumble away. And sometimes we even love other things. And still you're there. You call our names. You put your hand on our shoulders. And you inspire our life lord on this day on this day when all other things may be stripped away we pray that you would help us to hear you calling our name we pray that you would ignite within us again the passion for your love for your gospel and for your grace may it be our first love the most important thing in our lives from which all other things flow. And may we believe and live and give thanks in that love so that the world might see you and know the very good thing that we have and be invited into paradise, into life, into blessing with you. Lord, we pray all of these things, we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.